Well, good morning, everybody. Glad everybody's awake. We've, uh, when, I, uh, when I got out of uh, high school, I, all through high school, I played a lot of sports. And my favorite sport was, was football. I was a decent football player. In fact, I was kind of, I think I was built for football. And, and man, I loved the game. It was just, it was just it was, if I start telling you why, half of you would go, man, that's, that, you wouldn't understand. But football is like, like was my favorite game. It's the only thing I played. In fact, in our neighborhood, when we would play basketball, it looked like, like football, except we didn't have an end zone. We had a deal that we had to put the ball through, but, you know, throwing elbows and pushing, that was just part of the game. And I can remember when I decided to go off to Bible college, my God had really changed, began to change my life, but I still had a lot of those ways in me, but God had began to change my life. I decided I'm going to go off, off to Bible college. It was a little Bible college in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, they didn't have a football team. They didn't have a lot of the athletics. All they had was a basketball team. So I was like, well, I'm a decent athlete. I can probably figure this game out. I'll go out for the basketball team. It was a small Bible college. And I said, I should be, you know, I'll be able to make the team. They probably don't have a lot of guys going out for it and all that. So I began to get a ball and I began to shoot and all those kind of things. But I had no clue, like how the game worked, the, the ebb and flow of a game, how defense works. And, you know, if they're man to man, all those different kinds of things. I had no clue about that. So I just began working and I was running and, and doing everything so I could be ready. And I remember getting to the campus and there was guys, you know, pick up basketball game and the basketball that I played wasn't the kind of basketball they played. You know, and I remember a guy would kind of yell foul, and I'd be like, foul? What did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, a little elbow, but, you know, isn't that part of the game, right? And I can even, because I was still growing in my faith, I can remember even telling one guy, just quit being a wimp, man. Be a man. You know, this is how it goes. Quit calling fouls every time you get pushed a little bit. So I went out for the team, and, and that was kind of an experience, because there were 17 guys that went out for the, for the team, and I was one of them. And there were 16 other guys on the team. All of them played basketball in high school. I had no idea about this game, and I probably shouldn't have gone out, but I had determined that I'm going to go out for this, for this team, and I had determined I'm going to make this team. And so I, I began to work hard. I was every pickup game I could play and started reading. The coach had given us a notebook, and I had to learn all the plays. And I'm trying to study the plays. I mean, the whole idea behind about passing, I mean, you get the ball, you go to the hoop. If somebody's in your way, you go over them and you put it in the hoop. That was the game, right? But no, there was this whole other philosophy of the game. And I was working really hard. I would go to the practices, and, you know, I, I, I still did a lot of fouling and so forth. And I was pretty, pretty sure I wasn't going to get the team, but you weren't going to hear me say that because I was, I was going to make this team. But we had this game that was kind of an expedition game where we played at the beginning of the year and we were playing the alumni of previous teams, you know, before. And this was the coach's first year at the school. So he wanted to win this game really bad. And somewhere during the week, he kind of made the comment, everybody's going to play. Well, there came a point in the game where I knew I wasn't going to get to play, and, um, and I, I knew why, I understood it, because the game was very close. It was just kind of a nip and tuck and, and so forth. And as the game went on, I realized, now I can sit here and I can just be upset, I can be discouraged, all those kinds of things. 
But I said, I, I, you know, I, I want to be a part of this team. I want to be on this team. I'll do whatever it is that it's my role. And I remember this one guy, his name was Joe, and he had, he had kind of lost his head out on the floor. And if you know sports, you know what I mean by that. And he came over, and I remember he just kicked the chair, and he was kind of throwing stuff down, which in a Bible college, that wasn't really acceptable. In my world, that was just normal, you know. So I didn't really think anything of it. But I remember I went over to him, and I just kind of sat next to him, and I, I said, hey, man, uh, I said, uh, you're pretty upset or something along that lines. And he's like, yeah, I'll coach. And I said, hey, you realize if you continue this, you're not going to see the floor again. You realize that, right? You got to get your head in the game if you're going to stay in the game. And I don't know, things that we said just kind of clicked for him. This other guy came off and he was struggling with something. And I kind of went over and, hey, man, you know, da, 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 da. And, and as the guys were coming off, I, I was going to be the biggest cheerleader and I'm high five. Man, great job. All that kind of stuff. Well, we ended up winning the game, I think, by a point or two. And I remember at the end, you know, we're down in the locker rooms and the coach is giving away game balls. And he gives the first game ball, he gives away to the, the guy that was our best player and everybody knew it, you know. The second game ball, he goes, this ball goes to Lingle. And I'm like, I didn't even play a second in this game. And he started talking about my leadership and the impact that I had on our team that other guys didn't realize. And, you know, I thought, oh, that's great. That was nice. Okay, I was, the, I was the guy that fell in line, played the team player, and got recognized, right? You know, because he's trying to teach all these other players to be team players, right? But I, I was really starting to change, and God was really working on my heart. So even that was a little bit of a chore. But nevertheless, that was my intent. So I just kept working. It was, I think, that week where the coach started calling us in to tell us who made the team. Well, there's 17 of us. And I knew there were 16 other guys that were a lot better players than me. So I was pretty convinced. And I remember standing there, and a guy, guy came out and said, hey, coach wants to talk to you. And I looked at the guy, I go, well, this is where I find out that I'm not on the team. And I remember I walked in there, and he says all the little good stuff about me and all that. And I'm just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. Just tell me I didn't make the team. And he said, as long as you, have, you want a spot on this team, you'll have it. And I remember just going, what? I made the team. It was kind of like excited and I was thrilled and so I you know I worked harder and I you know and he told me he said you know if you keep working at this game you'll you'll get more time you'll get out there and so I just you know I just kept working at it well there, a couple weeks later we're in the season few games we had this game where we were just blowing out the other team just blowing them out so the coach goes hey everybody scores tonight I'm like, I heard everybody scores, but I heard, okay, the coach wants me to pass the ball when they fall in. I was thinking all the plays, all those pages on the, on the, in the game plan that I'd, I'd memorized. And I can remember, so we go out and it was designed and it, for me to get the ball and to score. And so the guy threw the ball at me. Well, the guy came over. Well, I remembered from practice and reading those pages. So I just passed it to the other guy that was open now. Well, he gets the ball, and it's like he doesn't know what to do with it because I was supposed to score. So he kind of passes it back to me. Well, this other guy came over, so I, the other guy was open, and I passed back to him. And, and then the coach says, time out. I remember we all walking over there. He looked at me. He said, Lingle, you're supposed to score. And I go, you've been teaching me to pass the ball. If someone comes along, there's a guy open, no, tonight you score. So I was like, okay, I can do this. And I remember he came back in, threw me the ball, and I and I put it up, I got fouled, so the foul automatically stopped the game, and I scored, and it was foul, and, and man, everybody went crazy, because they were all very aware of what the coach was doing, like the players were coming off, patting me on the back, but it wasn't just that, the stands went crazy, because we were playing at home, and, and 
I don't, I don't know how this happens, but everybody knew who I was, so everybody was encouraging. Everyone was just like, I'm like, wow, you know, and I'm pretty excited now because if everybody else is excited, I need to be excited. And, and all of this event going on in this moment, and I want you to see that picture for a second because when we're walking into chapter 12 and the first couple of verses of Hebrews, that's the picture that the author of Hebrews is wanting to give you. That dear people of God, we're in a race. We have been given a course a course to walk. You know, it wasn't easy for me to get to that point, to get on that team. All the odds were against me, but there was things I worked hard at in the process. And it's no different in our walks. The course, the race that is laid out before us, the path that we're to take, the road that we're supposed to run, we run with endurance, we run with persistence, we, we run with determination. And the author is drawing out this picture of a contest, of a race. And there's things that we need to understand that hinder us. There's things that we need to understand that we need to lay aside. There's things that we need to understand that we are to run a race. And we're not to grow discouraged. We're to run with determination. We're to run with persistence. We're to run with endurance. And really, when you look at Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's, he's kind of the author of Hebrews. It's kind of reaching a, a climax of, of what he started back in chapter 10 and verse 19. We looked at that passage, I believe, last week or a week ago. It's a passage where, where the author of Hebrews says, we have confidence. I love that term. We have confidence to enter into the holy place to enter into the new and living way by which Jesus is made possible through his own blood, through his own sacrifice, whereby he himself took upon the likeness, not sinful flesh, but the likeness of sinful flesh. He walked among the creation and he, and he went to a cross and he died on a cross and he bore the wrath and the judgment of sin and he experienced death. And he rose again, and all who would believe will be saved. And the author of Hebrews says, because of that, we have confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies. We have a high priest, Jesus himself, who represents us. We have a high priest who goes before us. There's one mediator between God and us, and it's Jesus. And by faith, we enter into the presence of God through the righteousness of Christ. I am confident in him. The author of Hebrews says, I am confident. And he calls us out as believers. And the believers of that day who were, who were starting to go back to Judaism, and the Levitical system, and they were going back. And he's calling them back. And today he's calling us too. He's calling us not to shrink back, not to go back, but to draw near by faith to master our grasp of our hope, of our confession of faith, that we would not lose hope, to not neglect the gathering together, not neglect the ability that we have to gather together and to encourage one another, that we would take an interest into the very spiritual well-being of one another, and that we are to heed the warning, that we're not to trample underfoot the things that Christ did and consider his blood commonplace, for the righteous shall live by faith. And we are not of those who shrink back, who go back, but we are of those who live by faith. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, therefore, going back to all of those things, and he's calling us, he's reminding us, just as they ran a race, we're running a race too. 
And just as they were able to successfully complete the race, we too can successfully complete the race. And dear people of God, we as a church today, if there is a time where the church needs to understand the path, the walk, the pattern of faith by which we ought to live, it is today. It is right now that we are a people of God, a people who belong to God, and we're a people who walk by faith. We enter by faith, we stay by faith, we conquer by faith, God is changing us by faith. It is by faith that we complete the race. And we cannot grow weary. We cannot grow tired of the race. We cannot grow tired of the walk. We must remain consistent and persistent in our, in our endurance of following after God. And dear people of God, I'm calling you out today. I'm calling you out today. I love you. You're online. You're listening. I'm calling you out too calling you out. You know me, you know I get a little excited sometimes and I start doing stuff like that. And I don't mean it in a bad way, I just mean dear people of God, we cannot grow weary of walking by faith. And the author of Hebrews is calling us out the same way. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, read it with me and then we'll go back through it. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews is telling us there's two things we need to do. He's really bringing to conclusion his argumentation. He began in chapter 10, verse 19 here. And he's saying in light of these things he's just talked about, there's two things he's calling us to do. And, he, and if you look at it, the first one is let us also lay aside every way. And the second one is let us run. So there's two things he's calling to do. There's some things that we need to lay aside. That word lay aside has the idea to, to throw off. It's always in the middle voice. So that means that, that the subject, us, are partakers in that. That there's some things, dear people of God, that we need to throw off in our lives. Think about that. I think sometimes we come to faith and we believe in Jesus and then we just kind of think the Christian life kind of, you know, it just kind of happens. No. If you think that, throw it out of your head. There are some responsibilities. There are some things that we have to do. And some of those things we need to throw off that hinder us in our walk. There's some things that we need to throw away that entangle us. We understand that this walk, this, this race that we're in is not easy. It has its struggles. It has its difficulties. But it isn't the difficulties and the struggles that bring about victory. It's faith that brings about the victory. It's faith that helps us to understand that we must endure, we must persevere, and that we must throw off some things. In fact, the same word is used in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. It's the picture whereby they're getting ready to stone Stephen, and they, they take off, same word, they lay aside their, their jackets, and they throw them at the feet of Saul right before they stone Stephen. It's the same, that same picture that the author of Hebrews is talking here, that there's some things that we need to lay aside, like a runner before he gets ready to race. In fact, I was looking in the, 
and some of the early Olympias back even before the time of Christ, those guys were crazy, man, the way they were trained. But, but when they ran, they, they, they went down to nothing. I mean, naked nothing a lot of times because they wouldn't want anything to inhibit them from racing. It was a little crazy, but nevertheless, that's the things they did. And so the author is drawing these athletic pictures out. He often does, and we often sees that, see that in the New Testament where they use athletics to kind of draw these pictures. It's the same thing here that we as believers need to throw off anything that keeps us from running the race. What are some of the things we're to lay aside? The first one he says is lay us, lay, let us also lay aside every weight. That word weight is the idea of encumbrance. Some of your translations may actually use that word. It's what hinders us from running. Uh, I was trying to think of ideas about how to describe that. The only thing that kept coming back was when I used to go backpacking back when I lived in Colorado. And we'd get a group of us to go. Sometimes our youth group would go. Sometimes just some of us would, would go. And you know, and you get these packs on there, and they're pretty heavy, you know, 50, 60 pounds. You got all your stuff on there. Depending how long you're going to be backpacking, it depends how heavy it was. Well, we had a little game we played a lot of times is that, you know, because sometimes guys would tie their shoes off of the top. You wear a pair and you had an extra pair and you tie them instead of taking up space inside the pack. You had things hanging. So we learned that you would go along and you'd just get like a little rock and you'd kind of stick it inside the shoe. You could zip open the certain apartments of the pack and you just kind of stuff little rocks in there. And if, if you did that over a period of time, you could add significant weight to that pack. And, you know, and you'd be walking along, you'd take a break, and the guy, man, man, this pack is getting heavy. I'm, I'm just not in as good a shape as I used to be. No, you're, you're not in good shape. And then we'd get to the camp, and you could always tell, because all of a sudden they'd be like, oh, man, because the guy's opening up his pack, and he's finding out all of his rocks that we've been stuffing in on the trail all day, you know, adding to the hindrance of his, of his hike, right? And it's the same picture, that there's some things that weigh us down, that become an encumbrance to how we walk, to how we follow after God. It, it, it could be several different things. It could be ambition. I thought, of, I thought it was interesting when I thought of Moses and Joseph. Because Moses, he, he, he laid aside, he, he, he gave up those things, the riches and the royalty of Egypt, in order to do that which God had called him to do. He joined his own people in the persecution and was the one who led them out of bondage. And yet Joseph was second in command in the same nation. And God used him to raise up his nation, to raise up his people. But it's the ideas, that those things that, that cause us to stumble, that cause us to, to get weighted down, and, and the things that God would call it. It could be a hobby. Sometimes it can be our wealth. It could be doubt. We begin to doubt God's ability. Our pride. There's some things I'm just not going to do. It can be anxieties that we have. It can be anything that hinders. And sometimes these things are not things that are wrong in and of themselves, but they hinder us in our course of faith. The writer tells us to get rid of them. In fact, as I was thinking about this, even in some of these things, I was realizing we've got to lay aside. Sometimes we just got to lay aside our pride, don't we, in order to run the race of faith. We need to throw off our jealousy in order to run. We need to kind of lay down our own biases. That's easy for me. I have a particular bias about certain things to run that race. Sometimes we need to lay aside our comfort zones. I've often wondered 
and challenged God in my own life how many times being in my comfort zone has kept me from doing the things that God has wanted me to do. Sometimes we have to throw off being right, being right in order to run the, run the race of faith. He says not only that we are to lay aside these weight or every weight or encumbrance, he says, and sin, which clings so closely. That word sin is a simple word. It's the idea of missing the mark. God's holiness is the standard. We miss that mark. We miss the mark of his glory. That's, just, that's sin is what it is in its very basic form. It's rebellion. We don't ever like talking about all those things because we don't want to point out what's wrong with us. But the reality is, of it is every one of us fall into sin. But then he goes on and he defines it as which, which clings so closely. It's kind of an interesting word. It's the idea to entangle. It's the idea to surround or in circles. And it's, it's kind of this picture of it happening easily. There's just some sins that kind of get a hold of us, don't they? And they just happen. They come out of nowhere. I've seen it in my own life where all of a sudden I'm upset over something and I don't even know where it came from. Lydia and I were... The other day, or a couple days ago, I was at a, at a store, and she was talking about something that she wanted to do, and I didn't want to do. And all of a sudden, I found myself, and I was, all, had all these emotions. It just came out of nowhere. It happens. Those things that can trip us up, the context is the doubt that they were experiencing and rejecting Christ, and they were returning back to the sacrificial system. For us, we return back to those ways. We, we demand our rights. We demand our ways. Some describe this word as kind of like, like sitting around a campfire in the wilderness. And you have this campfire and there's guys sitting around and we're enjoying our time. But outside, there's a predator that's just kind of circling, waiting, waiting to pounce on its victim. When Lydia and I were in college, we couldn't have a, we couldn't have dog or pet, so we got this fish. And I always loved this fish. It was an Oscar fish, and we named him Oscar, okay? You know, that way I never forgot what kind of fish he was, I guess. But anyway, this little Oscar fish was pretty aggressive because we bought some guppies to go in there with them. Well, we found out afterwards you don't put any other fish with an Oscar fish because he eats them all up. We literally went to bed. The next day we woke up, and he was the only fish. So you just figure out what happened, right? Well, I went back, and I was talking to the guy, and he said, well, you, you do need to feed them fish once in a while. That's part, of their, that's part of what they need. And I was like, oh, so I think I got some goldfish. And I, I think like three of them, and I dumped them in there, and literally as they were hitting the water, he was feasting. They were gone. I was like, oh, that was so unfair. I felt so bad that I just threw these fish right into this water, right? So the next time I did it, I, I got all the stuff in, you know, the little rocks and different I built this little protection area, if you will, in one corner of the aquarium, and I dumped the fish in there. But, man, Oscar, he got one before it could even breathe, and the other two did make it into the little cavern. Well, I started watching him, and I was sitting there, and I was watching him, and he just backed up into the corner of that, of that aquarium. He just got his tail back in the corner, and I was like, wow. And so you'd see that little goldfish come out a little ways, get something dark back in, come out, get something dark back in, come out, get something dark back in. And then finally he came out just far enough where he was no more. And Oscar backed himself back in the corner because he knew how many were in there, and he backed him out, and sure enough, the same thing. The next one started doing it, and he was no more. And that's how sin is, isn't it? We get more and more confident, and it, in, and it begins to surround us. It's always ready. And we know those things. We know those things that, that cause us to fumble. We know those things that 
that we need to get rid of. We need to genuinely look at our lives and recognize those things. I know a key point of my spiritual walk was when I was in high school when I decided that I was going to start living my faith. But I was around so many friends that did everything that wasn't of faith. And, there, and I would get around those guys and I would do things that I wasn't anymore. And I knew it, but I kept going or hanging around those guys and I kept falling into these things that were, that were entangling me from growing in my faith, that were hindering me in my walk. And I knew it, and I didn't know if I could give that up. And I remember finally one day I decided I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to that church that, was, that I'd walked to. I'm going to go get in that youth group. I'm going to make new friends, and I'm going to break away from these friends. It was, it was a major decision in my spiritual life. It turned my spiritual life. It was one of the hardest, if not the hardest, decision I ever made in my walk with God. I go to that youth group, and that youth group, I did not fit in that youth group. None of them really wanted to have anything to do with me, but one guy by the name of Dave Matthews, he would invite me to stuff. He'd give me rides. God used him in my life. And I walked away from that crowd because I knew that if I continued in that group, I couldn't, I couldn't witness to them. I just fell into their way of life. And I didn't need to do that anymore. I, I could go into that group now and I could be a witness, but then I couldn't. And sometimes we have to make a decision about those things in our lives that hinder us and encompass us and, and cause us to fall, that, that, that hinders us from walking in our faith, those sins that entangle us. Dear people of God, you need to genuinely look at your life, look in your heart. The reality is many of you know those things. We just kind of push them to the side and we sho shove them away. And the author of Hebrews is calling these believers to quit going back and to come to faith. And I, too, am calling you today. If you're weak and you're falling away and you're beginning to drift away from the faith, stop. Come back. Put off those things that are hindering you. Put, lay aside those sins that are causing you to stumble and come back by faith. Come back to Christ. He goes on and he tells us why are we supposed to do these things. Look what he says. Let us also. I love that term, also. He's referring back to that cloud of witnesses he just said in the first part. Since we are surrounded by a great, so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also like them. Let us look to their example. Those who have gone before us who kept the faith, who, who, who laid aside those things that hindered, who put off those sins that kept them from walking in faith, who remained in the course of their life a pattern of faith. This great cloud, cloud being the idea of multitude, of witnesses. It's an interesting word. We get our word martyr from. It's the idea of one who declares what they've seen or, or heard and often ends up bearing death as a result. You realize you're walking by faith is going to lead to a place, right? It's going to lead to a place because we're not looking to accomplish in this life. We're looking to understand that God has called us to something greater, just as these people of faith. Many of these who have gone before us, like Moses, who, who told a king to let God's people to go. Can you imagine? Or Rahab, who hid those spies, denying our own people, but who had faith? What would he tell of David facing a, a giant 
or Daniel in the face of lions, and others, many others, who by faith went through the course and stayed the course. Can we look at church history and see people like Augustine or Jonathan Edwards, a man who was so blind, he would read his sermons and it'd be so close to his face, and people were falling in the aisles, coming to Christ, burdened by their sin, wanting a merciful God to have mercy on them. Or what about men like Charles Spurgeon, and many other men and women who walk by faith, who have gone before us. Even in my own life, my own grandmother, who was the one that showed me the scriptures, that, that showed me Jesus. It was her and her faith. Or the lady on the train. It was during that time when I was walking away from those when those friends and I went to that youth group and I was just making myself go. It wasn't my comfort zone. I didn't fit with those guys, but I knew, I knew I needed to go there. And I went on this trip and it was on a train ride to this place where we were going to. And I went back to get something to eat. And there was a, you know, when you go back, sometimes you don't get a table to yourself. They just start filling in holes. I was by myself because none of the other kids were really hanging out with me at that time. And so I went and I sat at this table it was a woman with her two children, one of them sitting next to me. I don't know why, I just began to share with her the life I was trying to lead and my faith, and she was a believer. And the words that she spoke to me of encouragement not to give up, to endure, that I could overcome, that I could live this life of faith. I don't remember all the words. I just remember walking away from there going, I can, I can do this. Dear people of God, don't you ever give up. Don't you ever give up. Don't go weary. Don't go tired in your faith. Don't give up. Her words still echo to me to this day. Her words still tell me that I can walk this path of faith that I can still finish this path. I can still endure to the end. Dear people of God, I call you. Don't give up. Don't give up. People like Brother Presley, when I would be around him, my heart would pound when I'd see his faith. People who have gone on to be with Jesus, Dave Matthews, the man I mentioned a minute ago who was in our youth group, who's gone to be with the Lord. And how can I not mention Brother Bob, who just about a month ago passed away. The man who preached, and my heart was convicted as he taught and preached that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to him but by, the, by, 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 by Jesus. And I'll never forget, I walked that aisle and I received Christ that day. There's a path, there's a pattern of faith. We are a people who have to walk in endurance by faith. A pattern of life that is, that is characterized by faith. We must keep the faith. We must not allow sin to, to entangle us. We must lay aside those weights, lay aside those sins. And we must keep our walks. We must continue on. Dear people of God, please, don't grow weary. Don't give up. He goes on and he says... And let us run. I like that term, let us run. It's a present in the Greek. It literally means keep on running. Let us keep on running. Keep on running. Keep on running. 
Don't give up. You keep on. You feel like stopping? Keep on. You keep laying aside. You keep putting off. You keep walking by faith. It's the course of life that has been given to us. It's, it's a general term. It's the idea of contest. It isn't like there's only one winner. It's the picture that we all finish and we all receive the crown, the imperishable crown, a crown of faith. We receive that which from God that we so desire, that we look to and we long before. It's a race that is set before us. It's the walk of our Christian faith. It is the process in which we live our lives. We live by faith, and we run with endurance, and that's what he says, to let us run with endurance. That word endurance has the idea of abiding under, to abide under this race. This race is difficult at times, and it's hard at times, but we endure. It's not a short race. Some, some we see, they come, and they join the race, and they run for a short time, and they run well, and then they walk away. This isn't that kind of a race. This is a race of perseverance. It's a race of endurance. It's a race of determination. It's a race that you don't give up on. It's a race that you continue until your last breath is breathed, till your last faith has been exercised. You continue until the end. I paused because I was waiting for an amen. Amen? We don't grow weary. We don't grow weary. We run with determination. Just as those who before us had gone before us, the author too is calling us to run a race of faith. Look what he says. He said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, that path that we run looking to Jesus. It's the idea of looking away from one thing and looking to another. The picture of the race before us is that our eyes are set on Christ. It's only through Christ that we accomplish this victory. It's only through Christ that we finish the race. It's by faith in him. He is the one we run towards. And through the book of Hebrews, you see warnings of, of not drifting away, warnings of falling away from the living God. We're hardened by sin. We're spiritual immaturity. We're going on willfully sinning. And he's calling them not to do that because we're only through Christ is our victory. And we're to set our eyes looking to Jesus. We're to set them on him. When I was in camp, I was one of the things I used to do is teach survival, some types of very basic survival skills, and I would teach kids how to use a compass. And I remember one of the things you would teach them is that you get your direction, and then you look off a ways where you're going, and you pick an object, like a big tree or a big rock or some kind of a, a marker, and you look off and you see that, and then you just begin to walk to that. So you don't lose course, you don't get off course in your walk, because you can't walk like this, right? So you set your eyes on that that marker, and you begin to walk to it. When you get there, you would, you would set your compass again, and you pick out another marker, and you'd walk to that. Because as soon as you took your eyes off that marker and you lost it, where you quit looking at it, you know, there might be a deer over there, and you stop, and you go, oh, wow. And you, next thing you know, you're off course. Or maybe it'd be fun to go play in the river, or you'd start getting distracted by the things that are around you, and you lose course. And it's the same picture in our walks with God, that when we set our eyes on Jesus... That's how we get to the finish of the race. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I've heard it over and over again, when people fall away, it's because they take their eyes off of Jesus. They begin to look at all these other things and they lose sight 
of Jesus. We're to be looking off of him, taking our eyes off these other things and looking, looking to him. He's the one. He's the one that guides us, that finishes our faith. Looking away from all these other things, we set our eyes on Jesus. And he says, the author or, foundation, or founder and perfecter of our faith. It's kind of an interesting word. It was interesting to see different people deal with this. And it literally basically means the idea to lead in chief or chief. And some def- define it as like chief leader. And the picture is, it's that, it's that person whom all of these people of faith in chapter 11 were looking to. They were looking to Jesus. They were looking for the redemption to come. The redeemer, the, the one who was to, to restore Israel. The one who was to, to come be a God among us. They were looking to him. And it's Jesus who is the one who accomplished our salvation. We did not accomplish it. Jesus accomplished it. And he became the head of the church. And it's the picture whereby he is the finisher of our faith. He is the one who accomplished it. And we're to set our eyes on him. And he is the one by faith and reliance on Jesus by which we enter into this course of faith and complete it. He is. He is the one whom we look to. He is the one. Look what it says. It goes on. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is talking about Jesus, who for the joy set before him. Some think that maybe it's referring to the joy that Jesus had in his pre-incarnate state before he came, and that he gave that joy, he despised that joy in order to come for us. I think it's more the other. I think that Jesus saw the cross, but he endured it. He went through the cross for the joy of those that he would provide redemption to, those whom he loved. That's why the love of God is so important, right? Because God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. He went, looked past for that joy, the joy of his, of his church, the joy of his bride. How many times have you looked through scriptures and Jesus, how many times he would talk about he goes to prepare a place and then he's coming again. I'm coming again. I'm coming again because he looked past the cross that was before him. In fact, it goes despising the shame. That word, that word to despise literally means uh, uh, to, think, to think little of. We get our word scorn from it, to kind of scorn, to think little of. And there was no greater disgrace in this day than to die on a cross and be marked as a criminal. And here he was, hung up for all to see. And yet Jesus thought little of that pain. He thought little of that of that shame that was involved for him to endure in order that he might provide salvation for those whom he loved. In our own walks, we too have to despise those things. We too have to despise those things that that hinder us, to think little of them, to throw them off, because if you love them, you're going to hold them close, and you're not going to throw them off. Those sins that so easily entangle us If you don't despise them and throw them aside, they will entangle you and they will keep you from the course. We too need to throw them off and set our eyes on Jesus. And the last phrase there that gets to my heart says, and is. Look at that word is. I underlined is in my text. Is, present tense. Not future tense, not past tense. Is seated at the right hand of the throne of God that Jesus finished the work. 
Why can I run this course and complete this course? Why can I do that? Because Jesus has completed it. The author, the finisher of our faith, the one who endured the cross, despised the shame, he provided us for salvation. Dear people of God, don't grow weary. Endure the race. Run the race. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your spirit would just move among us. Father, there's some here this morning that or listening online that may be struggling with their walks, struggling with their faith. Father, growing weary, there's things that have begun to hinder. There's things that have begun, sins that have begun to entangle. And Father, this the decisions to throw those off, understanding that we need to lay them aside in order to run our race. Now, Father, it's not just a sprint. It's not just few good things here and there, but the Father, it's a race of endurance. It's a race of persistence and determination. The Father, we would not grow weary. And if there's some this morning, Father, that have been growing weary, ready to give up, ready to quit, may, Father, you strengthen their arms and their legs today. Encourage their hearts. Strengthen their minds. Let them set their eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus who demonstrated for us how he endured a cross because he saw the joy that was past the cross. May we see the joy, the hope that we have in Christ, that this world is not a place we settle, that we are the people of God. We belong to you, Father. And may we understand the joy of that. Despising, Father, the things around us and the things that, that cause us to to fall to the side that we might set our sights and look into Jesus. Father, may your spirit move among us. May you do as you will with your people. In Jesus' name, amen.